0: Everyone, gather round. Uh, welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. We are running the gamut this season. And by doing that, we are picking our favorite artists and bands and one of their respective records to go track by track and talk about it. We each picked 14 artists and bands. And on this episode, we've landed on one of my picks And that, who is me? You might be asking if you're just popping in for the very first time. My name is Mark. I am joined by my two faithful friends who I've known for a long, long time. We've shed blood together. We've put uh, records away in certain bins at a record store together. I've done some college courses. I've sat in classrooms with these folks. And now I'm sitting um, not quite together, not quite together uh, soon. We're, we're definitely coming closer to maybe actually doing a live recording at some point between the three of us. But we're talking through the tubes and uh, I'm going to introduce them now. So uh, my dear old friend, uh, Stephen... Uh, we share many a memory about the subject of tonight's episode. Um, but why don't you say hello to everyone right now?
1: Yeah. And no, if we were the, uh, we're essentially the three of us are the, 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 tr- this trio is the Depeche mode of uh, pasty 40 ish year old white guys that talk about uh, music on podcasts. That's us.
0: Yeah, I guess if... Uh,
1: I'm No, I'm, let's just get right to it. I'm clearly the Dave Gahan, you're the Martin Gore, and then Eric's definitely the uh, Andrew Fletcher.
0: You know, maybe, maybe. He might be like the wild card and maybe an uh, Alan Wilder, who's no longer in Depeche Mode, but we'll get to all the nitty-gritty details of all that. But Eric, who do you uh, most identify with? in Depeche mode.
2: Sure. Well, um, I think I look the most like Andrew Fletcher when I get off work and, and, and I'm still in my button up shirt um, and my, my hairbrush to the side, but I do connect with, uh, with Wilder's uh, some of his uh, musical choices, but anyways.
1: And then you definitely connect with some of Martin's after hours activities. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh what are you talking about as i loosen my
1: choke chain yeah. oh man
0: <laughs> um just but- I'm going
1: i'm going through i'm going through all these depeche mode lyrics these last couple of weeks and i'm just like god it's just this just sounds like stuff that eric said casually that i never caught on to but he's always been hinting it uh, what, you know, his, the dungeon and the, uh, I, I thought he was talking about dungeons and dragons, but no, it was something, it was something involving candle wax this entire time.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, I didn't actually introduce the subject of tonight's episode, but I mean, if you haven't caught on by now, dear listener, um, please take that crayon out of your mouth and, uh, listen closely. Cause yes, we're going to be talking about Depeche mode. Um, one of our f- three of our favorite bands, I mean, of all time, uh, Steven had made this point that we probably could have easily have transitioned into doing a Depeche mode season. Um, maybe not this season cause we're having too much fun bouncing around, but logically it could have made some sense if we went from nine inch nails to David Bowie to Depeche mode. But with that said, I'm glad that we actually get an opportunity to talk about the band, um, talk about our own personal history of the band, uh, go through their discography, not, of course, do a track-by-track track of their discography, because we're not going to give you a season's worth into an episode. Um, we did that for Rommstein, and, you know, romstein do deserve that, because I feel that they're still underappreciated at some point, point. Um, and I'm really glad that some of our... Listener comments actually gave uh, Ramstein another day in court and uh, revealed the verdict to be not guilty uh, or guilty of just rocking um, one of the two, not guilty of being it, something you should be embarrassed about. That's for sure.
1: It's, it's interesting that Ramstein was so close in proximity to the uh, Depeche Mode episode. Uh, besides the fact that Ramstein's covered Depeche Mode and there's clear uh, influence crossover there of, Rammstein being influenced by Depeche Mode, but also they both share an influence of uh, you know craftwork and whatnot, especially the early Depeche Mode and the early Rammstein. A lot of similarities there, but beyond that, beyond the sonic similarities, uh, with the exception of one huge misstep, uh, Depeche Mode's catalog, while not as as consistent as Rammstein's, because Rammstein has less albums, so there's a a, hi- a higher it's easy for Romstein's catalog to be so consistent because there's less albums, but it is very consistent. And Depeche Mode's catalog, also despite being what 14 records or some insanity, you got it, is also pretty, also pretty goddamn consistent. So it's uh, good. It's cool having them in proximity to each other. And to your to your comment about season three could have been Depeche Mode, it definitely would have been made sense. The Venn diagram of David Bowie, Nine Inch Nails, and Depeche Mode is has so much overlap from the fan bases, uh, the subject matter. And then also, you know, yeah, if you were to take Depeche Mode and place them between David Bowie and Nine Nails, I think, they, you know, you, you got the Brit to these Brits to Trent Reznor and uh, a lot of a lot of electronic music interplay going on. It just it would have made sense. And also the fact that all three of us have been fans for the majority of our lives of them as well. But uh, we took a different approach. And I'm still very happy that we spent some time with these records the last couple of weeks and we'll uh, go over them tonight.
0: We certainly will. And after we go through um, some of our passing thoughts, maybe a little thumbs up, thumbs down uh, throughout their discography and as we interweave their history in with that discography talk, um, the record that we are going to be talking about on actually in-depth and track by track is the one released in... I think 1996 titled Ultra. Um, And why I particularly picked that one is because the three of us definitely are swooning over Depeche Mode. I mean, we all unanimously love this band. Um, But I wanted to pick a record that wasn't exactly right down Broadway, right down, you know, uh, the heater, right down the fastball down the middle. I mean, one could argue that their trilogy of records of Black Celebration, Music for the Masses, uh Violator and you know, I would say as an epilogue, maybe Songs of Faith and Devotion, any one of those four could have been one of the ones that we would have probably been swooning. Maybe Songs of Faith, we could have had a little bit of crossfire. Um, but I think that Ultra, um, even if you look at the Depeche Mode fan community, it has some mixed uh reactions. And so, you know, just like Stevie Ruvan said. Uh, getting caught in the crossfire is something that I think adds a little more confrontation, conflict, and drama. Uh, instead of hearing three uh, guys in their 40s just swooning over every track on Violator or Music for the Masses, I figured Ultra would have been the one that could have sparked some get-out-of-towns and are-you-fucking-kidding-me's, and this song is great, surprisingly. I That's why I picked Ultra. Um, and maybe we all will unanimous, uh, still fall over each other. And I, that's the mystery of, uh, this relationship and, uh, you know, going back to what Martin Gore and spice things up in uh, his relationship. Well, we like to spice things up in our little podcast and certainly our friendship. Um, but before we really get into that, uh, I personally didn't really have any, uh, plug like a whole recommendations, but maybe I can think of one. Uh, or if there's anything on the newswire, uh, you know, we're kind of skipping around on some of our segments, but uh, we don't have a producer. We we do these things by just hit record and letting it fly. So I've got
1: this co-worker. I've got this co-worker and uh, we like any like all of us now. We have so many phone calls that are our meetings. And there are so many times where he brings something up and I wonder, God damn it. What the fuck? You shouldn't have even brought it up because you got nothing to say. I think that's what we just did right now, Mark.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, honestly, I think the three of us have just been mired in the uh, the Depeche Mode universe. I mean, I, I've, been I watch-
1: watching, I've been watching a lot of Westworld. Uh, that's good. That's a good show.
0: Yeah. What do you think of season three so far?
1: I really enjoy it. I'm only two episodes in. But I do like the fact that it, essentially it's just Blade Runner. That's fine yeah. with me. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. The real world is, uh, yeah, the Blade Runner world in, in Westworld. Less rain, but like same level of technology, and uh, you got some robots running around.
0: See, I think you're doing it the right way. Um, I think when me and Eric watched the show, and, you know, Eric, you can chime in here at any moment, um... You know, there was such a big delay between season one and season two. And I didn't go back and watch season one again. I just watched them all like once through. But you're doing it in a way that's it's still fresh in your mind. The characters are still there. You're still really wrapped up in the whole uh, character arc and the whole themes of the show. But I think that if without that uh, kind of stopping and that gap and just not being fully invested without having to go back and rewatch what you've already watched. I think you're doing it the right way. So season three may hit different for you than what it did for me. That's yeah, what I I'm agree. trying to say.
2: I agree with that. And usually when it comes to watching TV and if I, I, the the binge method usually does not result in me retaining anything about the show any, any better. In fact, it makes it worse but um, with that show, I can see because there's so many threads and different timelines that I can see that really being a, uh, a plus.
1: Well, I can't I can tell you that I, I I liked it so much that I've watched season one and two. I watched every episode twice, which uh, that's a lot of hours of my life. But it, like Eric, you said that show Westworld, you can't you, you got to pay attention if you're going to enjoy it. You can't half ass it on that one. And so just uh, the the. The quality of the acting and the imagery and the music, uh, it made it easy to watch it once for storyline and the second time to appreciate it. I did that with every episode Uh, season one and two. Yeah. I mainlined them pretty strong and now I'm watching season three uh, probably like an episode every couple of days. Um, I almost got to a point where it was overwhelming. I kind of had to slow it down, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I am enjoying it and I'll, I'll let you guys know what I think of season three in a couple of weeks. But yeah. Westworld. That's been a, that's been a fun one to get lost in. I think after this, I've been watching, I've been watching a lot more TV this year for some reason. Um, and I think after this, I've been itching to revisit, I think like almost all of David Lynch's works. I guess what I'm going to do next. So uh, we'll see how that goes. So, be I've fun. been itching to do that for a while, but I've been itching to do that for a while, but this, uh, This show and its constant questions about what is reality and whatnot made me think, well, fuck. This is right in there with the... It's a a less abstract uh, question that David asks all the time, and I'm I'm itching for that again. So, there you go.
0: Man, I... Yeah. I agree. Um, I was listening to some podcasts, and someone did a a phenomenal... (laughs) David Lynch impression that and it wasn't the Marilyn Manson Mark Maron episode which all things considered Marilyn Manson actually did do a pretty funny David Lynch impression on that one too um and uh maybe my lizard brain made that connection maybe we all made that connection with Evan Rachel Wood being the main character in Westworld oh
1: god you might be right. Oh, geez. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty terrible that's yet some... uh interesting through line. We didn't even try to get. that there you go.
0: Good lord. Um I for me, I've just been consuming um uh yeah, I, hold on hold on a second yeah, though, go Mark. ahead
1: you bring that up. That is one thing that I've thought of quite a bit when I watched that show, though, that the writers couldn't have intended it. But I mean, my god. Uh, a lot of it is <laughs> yep. about the robots if... being being yep. abused,
0: I go. where I see you know? where you're going. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and her even and and when she gains sentence and acknowledges that as an actor, like you know, she was pulling from a real place there. That's that's pretty brutal.
0: Yeah. No. No doubt. I mean, at the season one, I mean, Ed Harris, his character. Spoiler alert. But Jesus, where the hell have you been if you haven't watched it? And if you don't plan on watching it, well, whatever. Um, but yeah, she just her whole story is she gets uh, raped or uh, and then shot or something like that um, over and over again. It's it's wild. And, yeah, it's uh, just the objectification of the whole uh, AI, you know. They're sitting in that office naked, having to be recalibrated and things like that. It's, uh, it's a wild show. I like it. Um, but what I've been consuming, um, of course, I'm really just now in the uh, rocket ship ride of Deep Space Nine. Uh, it is uh, definitely... Uh, it's a big shift for the franchise, if you ask me. If you watch it in terms of how it uh, actually was released, I could imagine Star Trek fans losing their mind at the fact that it really does turn serialized and it, uh, it's a really intense like uh, political confrontations. But we'll save that until, because all three of us, I, I'm the only one that hasn't finished the series yet. Um, but uh, I, I, one of my recommendations that did come out this week, or maybe it was last week, anyhow... Very recent was the Tony Hawk documentary on HBO Max. Uh, it's very good, When the uh, Until the Wheels Fall Off.
3: I always felt a little misplaced. But I'd found this thing that I loved and I had so much more to prove. Whenever I would go, people would just be booing crowd was pretty rough. You do it weird. He skated as if he was
2: being operated by a puppeteer.
3: <laughs> it reminded me that I can't even fit into the skateboard world. But The control he had was insane. I was obsessed and I became a machine. That was the beginning of his launch to become Tony Hawk. I was just thrust into adulthood. I never thought I'd be famous, but it's the worst drug. Watching Tony learn is more interesting than watching him land tricks. I was truly alone, and had to go make a change. I had not figured out how to be a husband or father, because I didn't know how to live my own skin. Tony is always competing against Tony. That's all just guts. It inspires us to do something different. I'm still trying to figure this out. And I never wanted to back down from the challenge. I'm not going to quit.
0: It's kind of a last dance uh, for skateboarders. Uh, The last dance being not the... uh, uh, the band documentary, but the Michael Jordan Bull, Bulls documentary that we raved about some episode way back when, but it's good. Two and a half hours, maybe two hours and change, but uh, it's it's very well done. Uh, I, Not me knowing too much about Tony Hawk besides his best-selling video games and the fact that he was an amazing skateboarder. Uh, definitely goes into depth about the whole skate culture, his family, how. Uh, it's just really good. It's very, very well worth your time. If you like documentaries. So that's my recommendation. The Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off. How about another, you, Eric?
1: Another HBO, uh, thing that says we got to figure out how to get sponsored by them.
0: That's true. That's two for two. My God, Eric, what do you, what do you been watching?
1: <laughs> oh, thanks. Um,
2: watching
0: or uh, listening or whatever. Yeah, what do yeah, you yeah, recommend? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the uh, just in Steve's, what is reality? Just obviously severance is the best thing on TV in a long time for new shows. Uh, but we, you know, that's well documented across, across your socials. But uh, I, I, I concur. Um, but uh, this Friday, uh, it's well. And it, honestly, as far as watching goes, it's a shame we weren't recording next week. I could tell you how good father Stu was. Um, when, my, uh, when my when my my church my church rents out the theater so we can all watch it. It's,
0: I, I've watched a couple of those trailers and I still have no idea. Maybe it's because I'm watching them on like silent. I'm not yeah. seeing what is actually being said. Uh, but it seems to be focusing on Mark, on Mark Wahlberg and all of a sudden there's Mel Gibson, uh, fresh yes. from his uh, uh, appearance on the Jesse or the Jesse Water Show. But go ahead, Eric. <laughs>
2: Oh no, it just, it just looks like the antithesis of like, it's a, it's like some tough guy, Mark Wahlberg from the streets decides to become a a priest and like Mel Gibson, two, two very problematic actors, Uh, Mel Gibson uh, 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 teaches him the ropes and and is like his wise mentor and it just looks so sappy and uh, it's like, it's like uh, we needed a fighter and God sent us one or something is like the tagline for that movie. (laughs) Anyways, um, I'm sorry. It's low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. Um, <laughs> uh, no, this Friday... Well, at least you didn't make
0: a Morbius joke. My God.
2: That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, this this Friday, yesterday, um, two two albums dropped that... I always like a two-album Friday. Um, Friends of the Show Health dropped uh, their Disco 242.
0: Uh-huh. Two, yeah
2: which we already talked That's about good. the Ninth nail song. They've been leaking stuff for like a year. So a lot of the singles had been released about half of them, but the other half is, uh, some crazy, some crazy, uh, like industrial rap with the, with the group horror and, and backwash. Uh, the song with poppy of all people is pretty rad. Uh, lamb of, the one with lamb of God is, is a shredder. Um, but yeah, anyways,
1: that Listen one. To, is great I've listened too. to that lamb of God song that that got into my, uh, my rotation pretty hard. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, so that one's really good. Um, and then, uh, my hip hop knowledge has really fallen off in the last 10 to 15 years, but one of the guys, he's not new anymore, I guess, in the last 10 years that's just been on fire. Every album is, is, uh, Vince Staples. And he just put out a new one called, uh, Ramona park broke my heart. And, um, it's great. It's, it's just a big, echoey, uh, just kind of haunting jazz beat on almost every song, and Vince doing his very charismatic, uh, smart guy from the streets routine, and uh, I listened to the whole thing in uh, one go through and was ready to start again. Great, great record.
1: I'll have to listen to that. I really liked his first two albums. I can't remember what the last one was, but the first two I really liked. Let's check it out.
2: Yeah, the last one was uh, self-titled. It came out last year, actually. Okay, and yeah,
1: it's been been a while since I listened to one of his albums. And uh, Eric, uh, one of the artists that you like, I also released either an album yesterday or the week before, that uh, Carpenter Brute guy.
2: Oh, yeah, that was a cool one. He's like a synth wave. uh, A lot of his stuff sounds like... um, Oh like you would be like you'd be playing a you know a, I guess a Tron game or a Blade Runner game and, and uh, super fast slick 80 synth kind of arpeggio thing but yeah this new one's definitely got a metal edge to it and I rather liked it.
1: Yeah, it's got one of the guys from Tribulation on the closing track. It's uh I I do like it. For some reason it's in the metal section on the Apple Music.
0: I'll check it out. Both of those, uh, recommendations. Uh, that's one thing that, um, as I age, I don't really pay a lot of attention to, uh, music journalism that much, you know, in terms of what new acts I should really be paying attention to or anything like that. So it's always nice because I can always rely on the two of you, uh, to let me know, um, what I should check out and enjoy. And, uh, You know, even if I don't get it at first, I always really give it the time of day, like really just focus in on it and try not to another they say this is good. And it's not to say that it hurts where I'm just like, I'm going to force myself because I want to be liked by my friends. It's more along the lines of, okay, what angle do I need to be listening uh, this to? And so what
1: what drugs do I need to be on?
0: Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, we we all know that Eric gets the good stuff.
1: (laughs) what's funny is that you say that and uh, yeah eric probably listens to more new music than any of us i listen to my fair share but I, like i said usually it's just usually if the newer stuff i listen to is usually metal and it's a genre that god it can be overwhelming but uh it, it, at this stage of my life at least but it is funny you say that about music journalism because yeah i i, I got a couple websites i go to but usually they're just keeping tabs on like You know, what goofball thing did uh, one of the members of uh, Exodus do this week? Like nothing on new music. Right. But when I do when I do go to Pitchfork and I I do every day, I still see what albums they review, even though I will tell you guys maybe once, like maybe 10 times a year. Now, it might be 10 times a year. I know who they're talking about. The majority of the time, I'm just fascinated by, like, the names of the new artists and how we've reached this point where uh, they like they don't like it's a lot of dashes upper and lowercase letters, and uh, not a lot of vowels for some reason. It's just like I don't understand what's going on anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I I think that exact same thing. It makes me feel even more out of touch. I mean, I'll even read, like, the AV Club about, you know, uh, uh, the most anticipated records of 2022, and maybe I know two uh, bands on there. And uh, it, it makes me feel like, all right, I really should you know, get back into music again and not just listen to the same stuff that I just know and love. Um, But it's hard. It's hard for me to, it's a sign of getting old. Um, But before we get too wistful, uh, I I think we've got 42 years of band history to go over uh, tonight. Uh, It's nice to talk about a band that's uh, uh, nearly as old as you. And in Steve's case, that is true. So, hey, I'm, hey, fuck you. I'm 41. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> you give me that year back. <laughs> I always, so while I'm turning 41 uh, uh, later this month, I already figured that you had turned the page there, Bob Seeger.
1: No, I, I, I remember my birthday is in December. God.
0: Yeah. Yes. But we have, we're born in different years, my friend. Yeah. Come on. Anyways, do the math. You just realized that I'm right. No, you're not right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to be right until December. Well,
2: uh, shut, up, shut up,
1: grandpa.
0: <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, that's true. You did just turn Keep 41. Up. I get you. Um, Keep the
1: conversation going.
0: Uh, all right. So who's in this band? Uh, the, well, actually, before we get into the band history, I think we should talk about our own personal history with the band. I think that's what we like to do around here. I know Steve's story like the back of my hand because I was there. I I saw it and I lived it. Um, But I'm sure there's some details that uh, Steve can fill me in on. But Eric, how did you first get into Depeche Mode?
2: Yeah, uh, so this would have been about 95. um, And I'm getting into electronic and industrial music pretty hardcore and I, on the radio, um, I'm hearing a bunch of songs from, from Violator. Um, and like, I specifically remember like the first time knowing like, oh, that's Depeche Mode with, with, uh, Personal Jesus. And, you know, we'll get into it, but it's a great single. And, you know, and it's somebody that's already likes electronic music. You can definitely see there's some cool production stuff going on there. Um, And then hearing, you know, more and then connecting. Oh, that song's also Depeche Mode, like these like classics, like from the 80s. And then, um, yeah, Violator was like definitely the first one I ingested. And um, for a while, they were kind of a, they were always just so accessible and available that I, you know, I couldn't tell you particular albums too much. Um, I just know I liked them. And I would seek out, you know, and I would enjoy their songs and, and listen to them when they came on my, on my work. And then I got married. My wife's a massive fan. And so then I got to really understand the albums a little bit more, but not 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 all of them. Um, so this was a fun project to, oh, that song was off this album. Oh, that, because, you know, in, in a way, they just kind of become like a, a greatest hits band in my head. Um, but their greatest hits collection could be like 30 songs. It's it, There's so many great tracks. Um, but anyways, um, so as far as being on like an album-by-album basis with this band it was only a certain few albums that you know and still some of their greatest albums that i knew well before this this project so um uh but yeah i mean um and i've my my but i've only grown to love them more over the years um and you know my son likes them too and we all that we took him to his first concert to go see depeche mode uh, back in 2018 for the spirit tour um and that was just an incredible experience and um and just seeing them live, they were just, they were hot and they knew they, they knew to play, play the hits, um, and some of their new stuff, but, but mostly hits. And that was, that was fun. And, uh, they sounded, they sounded amazing. Um, so anyways, uh, so, so, so excited when we rolled them, um, from being a casual fan to more of a rabid fan, um, they never let you down. Almost never.
1: Yeah, Depeche Mode, despite me being almost the same age as them. Um, or actually, maybe because of the fact that I'm almost the same age as them. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for there. So I've just always felt like they've, they've been a part of my life. Um, obviously, when I was a little, little child, I can't remember hearing like master and servant or anything of that nature. But I remember very specifically when Enjoy the Silence came out at my grandparents' house during the summer, watching a bunch of MTV and you had Faith Namor's Epic, uh, some of those Guns N' Roses singles that, for some, like Guns N' Roses singles had a lifespan on MTV of years. It, it, I felt like the songs off of Appetite were played on MTV until they finally had new videos for User Illusion. And then they played the User Illusion videos for years. Um, and another video, like, yeah, you had Epic, Guns N' Roses, and then Enjoy the Silence that video, I just remember seeing it all the time. And even as a kid, nine or 10, depending on what part of the year it was when that album came out, um, just being transported by that song and that video so much. And I don't know if the intent of the video was to really to appeal to a nine or 10 year old in the way that it did, but it did. It struck something within me, the visuals of just Dave Gahan walking around with the crown and like a lawn chair over all these beautiful places uh, filmed by Anton Corbin, who may as well have been a member of the band at that point for a while there. And just that song, that sweeping song, even as a kid, I knew that song was great. And that that's been one of my favorite songs for my entire life. I'd never get tired of it. Uh, I could play it on repeat. And uh, yeah, that was my, my real introduction to him. And then I just, as I got into just a couple of years later, things like nine inch nails and whatnot, Depeche Mode just seemed like a natural thing to keep up with and actually start buying their records and uh, exploring them more. And yeah, i eventually uh, work backwards and forwards. I bought Ultra, I think, maybe when it came out. Um, that singles uh, collection that came out, bought that when it came out, and that helped me further explore their catalog. And then b- b- bought Songs of Faith... Or, yeah, Songs of Faith and Devotion and Music for the Masses and Black Celebration. And uh, ended up buying Exciter. The, the Day Act came out. Had all those for a while. Eventually, I got into the earlier, earlier albums. Uh, despite having heard most of them once or twice, because I know Mark had a broken frame on cassette. For some reason, I remember that very specifically. And then uh, I would listen to their newer records once or twice when they came out go back to some of those singles and then really dived in to the newer records uh, quite a few times these last few weeks. But anyhow, uh, the majority of Depeche Mode has always been in my life. And uh, they're uh, definitely a favorite band. Not an exaggeration. They are a favorite band and a lot of people's favorite bands. It's hard. They're a four quadrant band, man. They they appeal to everybody. They appeal they appeal to the goths. They appeal to the straight edge people that like just a good song. They appeal to the alternative folks. They they appeal to old old men, old women, uh, the metalheads, the darkness there, the the thickness of the the production. Um, even even country fans that might have heard them through Johnny Cash. I just feel like it's really hard to meet someone that says they dislike Depeche Mode in this day and age. Yeah, I've liked them for a long time. There you go.
0: Certainly, uh, I do agree. The four-quadrant band theory is uh, definitely sound. Um, How I got into Depeche Mode was introduced by my sister's ex-boyfriend, who was introducing me to a lot of great music back in uh, my freshman, eighth grade, summer between eighth grade and freshman year, and uh, really getting me into music, uh, like The Cure, Pink Floyd, Nine Inch Nails. ministry uh he was that guy and we a lot of our hangouts would be going to record stores sometimes buying used cassettes and sometimes hate to say it pilfering uh, cassettes and uh just it was my version of pirating music back then before the internet and uh uh, some would say shoplifting, Physic-
1: physically stealing. That's how you yeah. justify that now. It's just like, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody these days, you know, they go to YouTube or they use LimeWire, but I, I just stole things from stores. It was the same thing. Trust me. The FBI, the FBI is right. The FBI is right. When they have those things that say you wouldn't steal from a store. I was what you just going to go there.
0: Yeah. I was like, I always <laughs> chuckle at those ones. Was, yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> as I'm like doing the look around meme. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I my fandom though didn't hit the accelerator. It was more like, oh yeah, the, I like this song and this song, and of course, Violator is just nonstop a hit parade. Um, it was Steve's all of a sudden adoration for really getting into it, and when I saw that he was really getting into it, that was I just fed off that energy. So um, I
1: definitely, as that singles album, man, I'm pretty sure when that yeah. two. Disc single album came out. Yeah. Uh, Just having all that great music consolidated really just lit a fire. Um, It really did. It's one of the best,
0: greatest hits uh, compilations out there.
1: Yeah, because I already, you know, I already had Violator. I might have had one of the other two records. Uh, But that one, like that, you're like, oh, my God, all these songs are good. And then you go, and that was just the second half. Now that I think about it, they released, they had, they had, essentially it was... Three discs. It was a uh, and they, they've had they've had quite a few. Uh, uh, greatest Hits Collections by now, but this one was there was one release was uh, like 80 through 85, and then the next one, which started with I think Stripped was the first track on it. Yep. Was uh, was the rest. Uh, yeah. 85 through.
0: I think it was uh, 86, 87. Maybe it was 87 through 90, 98.
1: It's whatever you something like that yeah and I'm pretty damn sure it was two discs somehow which it was of, yeah it doesn't make sense because they used I mean black celebration had a ton of singles the uh, music for the masters had a good amount of singles uh violator had more singles than I remember looking back at it and then um songs of faith and devotion and ultra both had a good amount of singles and then they threw on a couple of bonus tracks um and yeah getting that and then wanting to explore the albums that those were from uh, in earnest definitely created something that remains de- decades later.
0: So I think we can talk about the history of this band. Um, the band currently consists of three members, Andy Fletcher, Martin Gore, and Dave Gahan. Dave Gahan is on lead vocals. Martin Gore plays guitar and basically everything in the band. Uh, the main, the man is the main songwriter. Uh, he's just a force of nature. Uh, it's, uh, when the book, he's, of, the lyri-
1: he's the, he's the lyricist for 98% of their songs.
0: I mean, I would say almost 99%. I mean, it wasn't only until like l- later. Well, I guess if you can, uh, include Vince Clark's input and then Andy Fletcher, he gets the bagels and the scones while the other two are recording. Um, but, I he, I, he
1: literally, Andy, Andy Fletcher literally does like sometimes, he does management stuff. He he does their fucking like their numbers and their books. Uh he's done it all for them in addition to playing the the other instruments that Martin's not playing. But yeah, he's the uh he's and what's funny is he the band start Vince Clark and Andy Fletcher were the first two members. Which just it's it's hilarious to me that Andy Fletcher has been there before
0: Martin Gore. Um, that was, that band was called No Romance in China. And then, uh, there's some past members, two of them, one of the founding members, Vince Clark, who went on to, uh, form such bands as Yazoo or Yaz and, um, Erasure. It's crazy. And, uh, I mean, looking back, you definitely could have seen Martin Gore and Vince Clark had they stuck together. Maybe they would have been. The next Lennon McCartney. And I'm being completely facetious because I am not a Vince Clark guy. Um,
1: neither, neither am I. It's funny. I Depeche Mode is perfected a genre of music where almost all of their uh, contemporaries I would put in the dustbin. I don't have time for it. Um, it's a lot of that synth pop stuff from the 80s. Like I felt like Depeche Mode is doing it way better than the rest of you guys. So why will I even waste my time with you? I have Depeche Mode. But uh, Eric's wife, if she heard me talk like this, would probably have me killed, um, because she there are cool. and actually uh, we, our friend Sarah, we tried to get her on the show tonight because Christ Almighty, three old white guys talking about records again. You know, whenever, whenever we can bring in some diversity on this thing, we will. And she's a huge Depeche Mode fan. She was on the episode of uh, season one when we talked about the Slip. Anyhow, Sarah, huge Erasure fan. Eric, I believe your wife is. There are some Erasure devotees out there, is there not,
2: Eric? Yeah. So yeah, just just to talk kind of about Erasure and and Vince Clark for just a second here. Um, yeah, I'm not. You can you can definitely hear when he departed. He uh, he loved that kind of major key, happy bubblegum pop um, synth work, and and then Yazoo with he formed that with Alison Moyet uh, Moyet Moyet and listen. She has a set of pipes on her. That lady can sing. She's probably got one of the more powerful voices, like Annie Lennox style, as far as 80s pop goes. Um, And, you know, it's a masterwork in pop synth composition. But same problem with that that I have with, like, Erasure is that it's a little bit too peppy. It's a little bit too clean doesn't really have that those that minor key dark dark kind of edge to it but i definitely got put in my place uh one day i was hanging out with well my wife and uh a uh, good friend of mine from tacoma um you know who's a who's a gay man and um i think erasure came on and, and i had had a few drinks and Like we all did when we were younger, sometimes you just say something to have a strong opinion, to inspire conversation around you. And I said something along the lines of like how much I hated erasure. And it was like just way too clean and poppy. And and then, and then like uh, um, uh, my friend said, well, you know, if you've lived with HIV as long as he has um, and you can still make those happy songs, then you're doing something right. And I just got absolutely put in my place and, uh, and uh, felt like a, I felt like a real, I felt like a real, real asshole. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you there
3: was a
2: time uh, listen, I've come around on a in the sense that when I hear it, I appreciate this like perfect pop, um, like uh, this perfect pop composition situation, but yeah, it still remains a little bit too happy for me. I'm not going to reach for it, and you can definitely hear those elements
1: uh, early on. But um, that's my that's my two cents on Vince Clark. Yeah, I always remember seeing the in the used section at the record store, the upstairs at Eric's uh, Eric's album by that, that was Yaz, right? Yeah, yeah. Just look at that album cover. Look at the name of the album. Look at the name of the band just put it back and I was like, no, thank you enough. Oh, good. Good for, good for Vince Clark for pulling it off. But, uh, what he started here was done better by others in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And, uh, the last member who is no longer in the band, uh, he was the the, uh, person that came on to replace Vince Clark in a manner of speaking, not so much as the chief songwriter, but he certainly was an integral piece of the music composition and that man is alan wilder who went on to do his own work under the name recoil um and he's done some production work as well
1: to get back to uh, alan wilder i will say that i really do like what he brought to the band and for a minute i felt they missed him but they figured things out but uh he definitely brought a lot of atmosphere to the band i thought
0: oh yeah no, that's for sure. I mean, I think they say it on record that um, he was the musical director of the band, responsible for that sound. So, I mean, he he certainly was an integral piece of that Martin Gore uh, layering of that, uh, what we all know and love of Depeche Mode. You can really feel It, it sounds big when he comes in. They started in there in 1977 when Vince Clark and Andy Fletcher essentially just wanted to be in a band because it's kind of the heyday. If you're living in uh, what, what, Basildon, uh, Essex, England, uh, you're going to... Basildon.
1: That's like the most... Yeah. Just... <laughs> I mean, the, fish and chips, most...
0: baby. That exactly is some London Basildon. fog.
1: <laughs> that's that's, that's a Ted Lasso uh, characters definitely hailed from Basildon, I'm sure. Basildon.
0: Yeah. pip, pip. Yeah. um but so you've got bands like the cure Ultravox uh that are you know making a, a name of themselves so they of course kind of join that frenzy uh they have some friends and you know as you're in uh, high school and college members seem to fall away and that person knows that person and that's essentially how they uh ganged up with martin gore he played uh guitar in this acoustic duo norman and the worms and they just sort of mixed in with each other they uh formed the name composition of sound uh because they saw omd orchestral maneuvers in the dark um, making electronic music and so they started buying synthesizers and we're borrowing them from friends, and there you go. So craftwork, we're doing their thing, and um, now everyone's trying to really replicate this new technical sound. Dave Gahan later joined because they found him performing the uh, cover version of David Bowie's "Heroes" at a what is considered a local scout hut jam session. Uh, when I looked that up, it was essentially an open mic improv night. Um, Dave Gahan, um, he's definitely known for his baritone. He is a great vocalist. There's no question. Um,
1: yeah, and he gets, he gets better as the band goes along. Um, did you guys read about his background at all as a kid and stuff?
0: I mean, a little bit. Uh, Go ahead and flesh that out for me, though.
1: Well, there's not much. I mean, he had some interesting issues with his dad. He didn't know who his real dad was until after his stepdad died. Then his real dad came back into his life for like a year and then disappeared. But I I just found it interesting that he was a hoodlum. They used to steal cars and light them on fire. Um, The bad boy image he kind of he really leans into in the late 90s, early 90s or late 80s, early 90s. There seemed to come from a real place. But uh, I I love Dave Gahan. I've always since even since I was a kid, I always thought like, oh, this guy's a bad boy. <laughs> it's just hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, I just the fact that like he's got those two tattoos and they're like these like really simple like guy came. I don't even know what they are, but they are they like you know you see him in a wife beater with just these two tattoos in one arm and his haircut and he definitely looks like a guy that's like you know I I could probably I don't know if I'll win a fight, but I'll pick one. Like that's Dave Gahan to me. I love the guy.
0: Um. So, yeah, I, you said it best. If they do a bio picture on Depeche Mode, he'd be played by Ben Schwartz. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I think that's so 100% accurate. Uh, he doesn't look like a tough guy, but in that, enjoy the silence video where they're all like in their leather jackets and he's got his greaser haircut going uh, like just a bunch of toughs that found some leather jackets and hopefully they don't get beat <laughs> up. <laughs> Yeah, Um, but I didn't know that. Uh, One thing that I did find interesting is it's uh, it's a very similar story with Martin Gore as well. So Martin Gore, his biological father was an African-American G.I. that was stationed in Britain, um, which honestly, uh, when you look at Martin Gore, he looks like powder. I mean, extremely with that white shock of hair. Uh, looks very, very pale. Um, but there you go. Uh, I can see, see it. I I
1: was c- American. Could,
0: his uh, biological father oh, was wow. an African-American, uh, but he was raised by a stepfather um, who always believed that his stepfather was his biological father. father. Same I fucking could see, thing.
1: I could see with Martin Gore. I could kind of see it. And if you look at him, though, his his facial structure does kind of look like it has a uh, as
0: European. Three. Is that what you're kind of saying? Maybe. Because I, he I de- don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I could I know I could kind of see him having some African-American heritage if you look at him. No, he's white as hell, which, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, it's, once you know that fact and you look at him again, you can kind of see it. He's an interesting. Like he, he physically looks interesting.
0: He does. Uh, and I I see that as he aged. Um, but when he's young, I mean, he looks yeah it's just it's very different uh, i guess he uh, didn't meet his biological father until he was an adult uh, down in the south um so i i just I, that's crazy i mean uh, when i read that a long time ago in a rolling stone article i didn't believe it um but sure enough it is true um but martin gore uh, w- what a what a talent this man is uh, he can, he can do it all. I mean, uh, his instrumentation is fantastic. I'm sure he could play any instrument that you give him in a weekend. Um, he writes all the lyrics for the most part, uh, with the exception of the first record of speak and spell. And uh, Dave Gahan actually comes in on the later records and actually wants to contribute some lyrics as well. And he actually does a pretty good job too. You find those first on playing the angel. Um yeah, Martin Gore, his his uh, he has a very you
1: know, much high pitched singing, mm-hmm. and I think it's really interesting. They just you know David's a better vocalist, especially for what's essentially a rock band. He's a great frontman, Dave Gahan. But the way that uh, they they weaponize and use Martin Gore's voice when they need to and when they should is incredible. I can only I think the the harmonies of this band once you once you hear them and notice them you realize that those are some of the most special parts of their songs are when uh, Dave and Martin sing together. Um, and, you know, like, it, it just Alice and Chains is one of the other bands that I can just remember uh, the, the harmonies meaning so much to me when they when they really clicked. Uh, obviously, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell. Like, you listen to that uh, unplugged Alice and Chains album. That's just some of the most beautiful rock music of two dudes singing together. You hear that a lot with Depeche Mode. Uh, and, and it's not always just backup vocals on the choruses. Sometimes Martin will just sing a, a phrase or two with with Dave and in, in a verse. And it's just uh, packs a punch. He's a he's a great vocalist.
0: Eric, any uh, any thoughts on that? Oh, just yeah, he is
2: uh, early on. Martin would get maybe one or two songs, an album for a solo piece where he's singing the whole thing. Um, and I, 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 know those are kind of mixed results with fans. Um, and, um, and to be fair, some of those songs are kind of just snoozy, uh, like tracks. Uh, they don't, they're not as dynamic.
1: Um, somebody, yeah. Somebody you can don't, I don't need to hear somebody, but I can write right. A, a question, a question of lust. Uh, that one's, that one's grown on me over the years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Usually. Yeah.
2: Or like home. So- this is fine.
1: That's it. Home's a yeah. good one. Yeah, yeah,
2: and I and I saw yeah when he played it live, and he just kind of gets the stage for a minute. It's it's kind of a cool moment. Um, but I mean, come on, Martin Gore is just absolute hero, god status. Like, uh, just what he what he does that band, and 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 you know, knowing that he's not frontman material, and and like having you know no problem just you know sharing that with somebody who can who can put on a put on a more of a show, and um yeah, and I, I really respect his production style. I think he actually forwarded electronic music as it as it as it meets pop music, like crossover potential for electronic music. I think he's a huge flag waver for that. and um and even if you listen to some of his his like solo records, it's this dude can uh, produce
1: and program um, with the best of them. Well, the interesting thing about his production styles. I think Alan Wilder had something to do with this, too, is the reason the Depeche Mode was so popular was, yes, it is very much electronic music. But on the best Depeche Mode songs, the balancing of the production is just the, the just I, I just like almost like perfect production. And I don't know how to explain it because I'm not a musician, but I know it when I hear it. And you hear that on those uh those the upper level Depeche Mode albums. Yeah, he's uh, Martin Gore is just awesome. I, I I I'm an old man now. I don't need to meet my heroes, but I really wouldn't mind meeting Martin Gore and just like shaking his hand. Just like has done so much. It's yeah. Awesome.
2: Or, or, or yeah. Or, or if he wants, to, yeah, I could give him a, a, a whip or two out of love, you know?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> also. Yeah. The guy's just, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> we're going to talk about it as we go through these albums a little bit. I, I also think I applaud him for, Sometimes he just ditches the metaphors, and the text is sub or the subtext is definitely text, be it uh heavy handed songs with a very good environmental or socio message, or just talking about getting dominated, you know or look at what he would wear sometimes he'd wear these vests with no shirt on and a silly hat and tape over his nipples. Uh-huh. that's great,
0: yeah. I mean uh one of my favorite things about uh one of the more recent uh rock and roll hall of fame induction ceremonies it was the same one that was occurring during the pandemic where 9 inch nails also got inducted so everyone had to do this pre-recorded video or maybe do like an interview which made it look like I don't know uh but my favorite thing was when Dave Gahan um Andy Fletcher and uh Martin Gore Just all in three different locations, all talking through Zoom, just like three men that just goofballing on each other, laughing at the whole pomp and circumstance of it. Martin Gore smiling with like this crazy Joker demonic grin that not creepy, it's just lights up a room. Some some wild stuff, folks. Um, but uh, if you happen to catch that induction, uh, it's, it's weird, and they're all just like, "All right, let's go get smashed" or something like that. Um, but yeah,
1: I know what you, I know what you're talking about. When Martin Gore smiles, he kind of gets this crazy look in his eye, like somebody that's seen, like <laughs> like in an like H.P. Lovecraft book. They saw the face of the old ones, and their brain couldn't handle what they were seeing. Like that's the kind of look he gets on his face. Yep. A man that's seen things and isn't coming back very well. <laughs> he's just, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. we could, we could probably just do a, a you know, observing Martin Gore podcast. And we wanted to, it was this strange
0: dude, strange.
1: Um, so it's funny. It's, it's funny. Like Martin Gore is he's as weird as Robert Smith is. He just isn't nearly as broad about it, but there, there's the same level of just weirdness, but also being a great songwriter and craftsman there. Uh, the difference being that robert smith you know covers his face in makeup and puts a bunch of hairspray in his hair and sings like a a whirling banshee meanwhile martin gore kind of has his weirdness be a little bit more uh like once you notice it you can't help but not notice it but it's not as striking at first
0: yeah um so those are uh you know a little bit of background on each of those members the band title itself they, they after everyone's assembled, they called themselves Depeche Mode. Um, Gore had said it means hurried fashion or a fashion dispatch, just like the sound of it. Uh, the magazine uh, was a French fashion magazine called Depeche Mode, and so they just took that and uh, away they away they went. Which I'm surprised the actual fashion magazine didn't eventually sue them, but. I wonder how all of that shook out, or maybe they turned themselves into a Depeche Mode fan magazine. Who knows? Um, But how we're going to talk about these uh, records, uh, Steve came up with this really, um, I think, accurate way to discuss this band and its discography. Uh, This band really goes through a lot of phases. I mean, every band that you follow certainly does. They evolve, they mature. Once they get a group of albums together, you can see what phase they're in. And then one album is like the transition. And then we're off to the races and then another first album is the transition and off we go. Um, So this first group uh, we're calling it the some great rewards phase. Uh, That includes um, the album speak and spell a broken frame construction time again, and then some great reward concludes that. So these are the early days where, um, Alan Cl- or, uh, excuse me, Vince Clark is manning the captain's seats for speak and spell. And you can absolutely tell, um, it's, uh, it's a bouncy little, little album. Um, one thing that always stands out to me, it has the, uh, immensely popular song. Just can't get enough, which is a, it's a great song. Um, it, the videos, The first time I've ever actually seen Vince Clark um, ever, because I've never watched an erasure video. Uh, Again, it just wasn't for me and you know, whatever, Uh, teach their own, but really lighter in tone. uh, It contains what they consider one of the worst songs in the entire catalog. What's, what's your name? Um, And it's not good. It's not a good song. Um, But in this first studio album, eric tell me yay or nay in 30 seconds small review
2: you got it uh yay ish um what i like about it is the early synthesizers the 808 drum machines um half these tracks if without vocals could have just been like backing tracks for break-in or break two um and then um yeah it's it's peppy um it doesn't really fit where depeche mode would go they obviously have a darker side but Vince Clark wasn't, wasn't going there. Um, and, uh, but I think it's charming in its own way. Um, worth a listen, but not too many tracks from it It ended up on my, uh, my ever evolving.
1: I will not be uh, keeping myself to 30 seconds for these albums. And if you have yeah. a problem with that, Mark, you can ban me from the Oscars for the next 10 years. But um, <laughs> yeah, speaking Spell, yeah, the only Vince Clark album. Uh, the album cover I like with the Swan in the uh, barbed wire. I like those early album covers quite a bit. I'll talk more about them as we go through them. Uh, it is more upbeat a, a of a record, but it's not complete cheese music. Um yeah. New life is a great, a great track. It, uh, I think it's prototypical, really Depeche mode. Uh, that, that just can't get enough of probably the two best tracks off this album. Uh, puppets is another good one off there. It's, uh, it got some good layering, good synth work. It doesn't sound dated like a lot of early, early eighties stuff. Um, puppets is a good track. Photograph is also, or photographic is another one I like on there. It's, uh, it starts to show how Depeche Mode, even when they're writing some of these basic synth-pop songs, where other bands would have like an A, B, and C section, Depeche Mode would still add like a D section, where there's like a fourth movement. I think Photographic shows that. Their songs go a little bit further. Um, yeah, it's more upbeat than what follows, but still definitely Depeche Mode. The Kraut Rock influence is, a lot, is there quite a bit. Uh, less guitar, not even any guitars. A lot of bloops and bleeps. Uh, I still think it sounds a lot better than their contemporaries. And Dave Gahan sounds like Dave Gahan, but his voice is way less dramatic and deep. He's a he's not a lot vamping. more. He's not vamping. He's not vamping. He's not vamping. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's move on to A Broken Frame, uh, released in 1982. So Vince Clark is out of the band. He wanted to leave because uh, apparently he was just getting a little too weirded out by the uh, tension and was tired of touring. And then he went on to form another band and then essentially did the same thing. Who knows? Maybe he got a little uh, anxiety, a little cold feet about their uh, kind of Sudden's moderate success i mean they weren't like breaking records over in the uh the uk during this time they were still playing small venues and um having to almost i mean at at first they had to convincingly uh go to each of those um recording studios to record something and then go to a production producer like with either their synthesizers It, it was just a big traveling shit show um so they paid their dues. I'll just say that. Um
1: whatever whatever reason he left for I mean decades later Martin Gore and Vince Clark had like a, an EP side project. I mean those guys are buddies again. But I I for whatever reason he left at at the time there was some cattiness for Martin Gore saying it was bullshit. Like he literally said like, "Oh, that's bullshit. Vince wanted to do blah blah blah." But uh they made up eventually. Yeah. Martin Gore he's like he's a caddy character. He's a cat. He's a
0: Kind of in the vein of Elton John, you know?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, so Vince Clark left, formed Yazoo with uh, Allison Moyet. Um, Alan Wythe- Yazoo! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love that search engine. Um,
1: Yazoo from Basildon.
0: <laughs> um. But Alan Wilder, he did join the band, but he was more of the part of the tour touring band. He was not on uh, Broken Frame at this point, just a hired gun. Um, so this was their record, sophomore record, in order to kind of prove themselves that they can continue on. Um, and with Martin Gore now taking the main songwriting uh, responsibilities, both lyrics and music. And uh, off we go. So... Uh, this one is, I think, a, a, a big improvement over Speak and Spell. Um, this is the one where you can see that there's a shift between the way that Vince Clark writes and Martin Gore writes. But having said that, there are still some like bouncy little numbers all throughout this this album, too. It's just that Martin Gore has this neat little trick that he can talk about. Uh, some heavy content and make it sound. And then uh, musically, it sounds like you could use it in a, uh, a serial commercial. Um, it's, it's wild that he's able to do both of those without it ever making it feel uh, wrong or awkward. He, he, he's really good at that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, some of the highlights uh, that I would say here, um, well, I mean, you find them on uh, music videos. The meaning of love, see you. Um, uh, those are the the two. Leave in silence was also in there too.
2: Have you seen that video? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's where they're like on the conveyor belt and they're just smashing
0: yes. apples
1: and jello. Yes, and fucking. Uh,
0: Jell-O. And it kind of turns almost into a Beck video with them all oh, being man, in got- different colors. Yeah.
1: They've got that some those some of those early videos are something. I mean, the early videos and also some of the early like uh, whatever, whatever those shows that were kind of like American bandstand. But for the Brits, their top appearances the on those top of the pops. Yeah, those that era of Depeche Mode is very enjoyable for the uh, visual components that you can find.
0: I mean i i think it's an improvement uh but you can still have some jaunty little numbers with a little bit of menace um kind of hiding in the shadows uh so uh, i'll start with you steve broken frame
1: what's funny about a broken frame is that i very specifically do remember mark's uh, copy he stole from the record store um a cassette he had it on cassette am i right mark
0: yeah for the most part that was the easiest thing to put my little mitts on (laughs)
1: um the album cover is amazing. It's, uh, it actually won some kind of award, that photograph. I I just love that album cover. The It's like a Russian woman in a field chopping wheat. It just just looks really good, the composition of that album cover. Uh, I think it's a little bit better than Speak and Spell. That's not the popular opinion. If you were to look at uh, ranked Depeche Mode records, Broken Frame usually hovers near the bottom for some reason. I, I can't figure out why. Uh, I don't think it's a bad record at all. Um, it's better than a reputation, and it, it shows some of the growth they have. I mean, maybe there are some growing pains there. I'm hard pressed to name a lot of great songs on it, but I like that they're trying new things. Um, it's an enjoyable listening experience in album form, but it's hard to track down some singles. I mean, the two songs on it that I really like are leave in silence and uh, nothing to fear. Leave in silence. They, they start doing that stuff with like uh, Whoa, 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 it's a little bit darker tone. Yeah, and um, it's got a it's got a cool synth solo that sounds like a broken flute. So that's good. And and you're gonna I'm gonna be bringing it up a lot, using synthesizers and trying to make them sound like classic instruments. Is something Depeche Mode did often. And uh, yeah, nothing to fear is a instrumental song, but the synth line sounds like. It has the same cadence as a vocalist. Pretty cool. If you're gonna listen to one song off of this album I'd say nothing to fears.
2: see why this one ranks lower um probably on my list it it does i still still very enjoyable and actually i think side b is great um i think you can kind of see the growing pains like steve said um it's not as easy for martin to pull a melody out of a hat like he is able to do on almost every album after this um there are some songs that do kind of wander without that hook
1: um especially on side a, um, Hey but, Eric, it might, you know, it might be because there's no Vince Clark and there's no Alan Wilder yet. Right. And perhaps Alan Wilder helps Martin find those melodies on the future albums. And then after Alan leaves, Martin has grown that skill by the right,
2: right, right. Yeah, definitely could be. And yeah, I'm thinking and collaborations, is such, such a big part of the band that makes a lot of sense. Um, I agree with you. Nothing to Fear is top-notch track. I do really like Satellite. Um, the synth doing like a tuba, oompa sound. It's almost vaudevillian, but this is the first kind of glimpse of Dave, Dave's dramatic side. Um, and this album, even the songs that don't hook you, uh, they're, you know, Martin gets the reins in songwriting and kind of rushed to do it, and you can kind of tell it's a rushed rush job, but he discovers the minor key and the kind of dark pop, which is, I think, really their niche and atmosphere. Um, they let the songs breathe a little bit more. I mean, there's no room for that on Speak and Spell. It is hyperkinetic bubblegum synth pop. But this one, they definitely let let you breathe a little bit and build that atmosphere, which I think is, is a huge uh, kind of a, a, a huge kind of, I guess, watermark for them as they move forward. So um, I like it. Uh, I like it I think I think it's you can see them growing Um, it's not as as successful as as many of their albums but I think it's an important one
0: in this, uh, four album, uh, phase here construction time again. So construction time again, released in 1983. And it's so great during the, uh, uh, hungry days of music, um, bands release almost albums every year. And I, kind of love that. I, you don't see that even on today's young bands that are still coming up. They tend to take two to three year layoffs between records Maybe it's the constant touring. I don't know. I think that the new generation is just lazy. That's probably so. what it is. I mean, Kim Kardashian said it best, right? Um, bitch get to work or something like that. I'm not following it. Um, so construction time again. It was recorded at the same Berlin um, Hansa studios where uh, the David Brody, uh David Bowie, David Bowie's Brian Eno Trilogy was produced. <laughs> that should have been
2: our second season. David Broe's, <laughs> God, lost opportunity.
0: I know, man. Uh, but we did get those hidden tapes uh, of uh, Tony Visconti, who was uh, apparently a wise guy in the Bada Bing. Um, that was
2: a big win for
0: us. Yeah. Big win. It was a get. it uh i mean i did read about the fact that uh, martin gore went to an eins kruzende nubauten concert but i had no idea that that was also one of the reasons uh why we get the jack hammer um john henry uh banging on pipes kind of sound that we get with construction time again uh and always whenever i look at that album cover speaking of that it reminds me of when uh, homer and bart it's the john waters episode Oh, yeah, I
1: thought about that. I thought about it. I yeah. did think about it too.
0: Exactly. <laughs> they work hard. They work hard. They play
1: hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the sparks and steam. Yeah. Oh my god. Those
1: early. I'm telling you, man. This is those early album covers are great, and this one is great too. I love the font on the name Depeche Mode on it. Yeah. I love. I just love that title, Construction Time Again. That's a great title. And it's, it's I mean, like, this guy is cover. like
2: pounding rocks on the top of the Alps. It's well, it's great
0: um but now we get Alan Wilder he's part of the band um this is a pretty good record and it's not great i mean I, I still would probably put it in my uh mid tier range but it's um it's pretty good i mean you get everything counts which is an all-timer uh which gained some extra life on the 101 live uh score soundtrack um album i because i yeah they did a documentary on that um but what you get uh on here uh everything counts love in itself um two minute warning that was an alan wilder uh uh song that he just writ wrote excuse me
2: it's cool that's a cool song it,
0: it is yeah it is um, he also did The Landscape is Changing. He wrote that one as well. So right up from the go, um, he's he's making a, uh, a play to also uh, lend a hand to not only writing original music, but uh, just really starting to flesh out the beginnings of what we all know and love about Depeche Mode right before they really hit their stride um, in their second phase.
3: No consequence, no sympathy. You're good enough to.
2: Yeah, no, I, I do like this one a lot. It's um, taking a bit of uh, what's happening in uh, the UK when it, with early industrial music and um, EBM and, uh, you know, they definitely, you could tell they like the idea of banging on things um, as their videos often involve them banging on things. Uh, even in, in the videos, it doesn't really translate to the sound you're hearing and the song. It's still fun. They were really into that aspect.
1: Um, but come I can't on, remember every- what album, I can't remember what album it is, but there is an album where they rented a house or a studio or something. And the first thing they did was they went to the kitchen and they like went through all of the pots and pans and, and forks and knives to figure out what they could bang to make. I'm not kidding. That's really no, some no, I do.
2: read that too. It was either this one or the next one. They're, they're, they're kind of like a, uh, Two of a kind, um, for sure. Uh, but listen, this this one's great. It still has a little bit of that craftworky qu- and synth stuff, especially on songs like Two Minute Warning" or uh, "Get the Balance Right." Um, great, great tracks. I think one of those has a video with a bunch of like old stock footage of of uh sailors on a submarine. Um, and you know, I I enjoy this one. I think I put this on from start to finish and have fun as, as somebody who does really appreciate those, those early to mid eighties, uh, electronic, um, you know, albums, just people having fun with the technology. Um, it does also search for melody at some points. They do hit kind of a wall uh, here and there, but all in all you can get through it and have a good time.
1: Yeah. Again, I like the album cover a lot. I like the album cover and the album title synergy. Um, there they start using you start hearing some melodies of uh and somebody wrote this down but I totally agree with it russian european and oriental influences appear in the music and i can totally hear it martin starts doing these like more exotic melodies here and there um i like that there's like a general climate awareness theme i mean they were talking about climate change uh way before it was uh, unfortunately a common topic uh sometimes like you know we we've Sometimes Martin's lyrics are right on the head, but that's that's great. I like it. Sometimes uh, something should have a, a easy to understand message. Um, uh, yeah, there's uh, the songs that really stick out to me. Uh, Two Minute Warning. It's a good one. It's got a great chorus. Everything Counts, like Mark's mentioned, is an all timer song of theirs. I'm sure they played it live in every show since they wrote it. Um, the live version on 101 is a superior version I love the uh, I always when I listen to it in the, the graph I always think in the live version they repeat the graph over and over again and then they say on the wall it uh, just sticks out in my head and uh, I like how, yeah. how martin claims
2: they're not a political band but that is the best like anti-capitalism song
1: funny it's yeah, it's funny you say that too because like in my job uh you know project management looking at budgets and profit and yeah, i work for a small company so i i literally talk to the owner of the company about you know uh, wh- how th- th- if i do good enough a job like the company makes more money and i think of everything counts like every time i gotta talk to the guy <laughs> it's just the song starts going through my head uh, about what's important to some people song's never very far away from me with this message. Uh, it's a great song. Catchy as hell. My kid loves it. I think most kids love Depeche Mode. It's another reason I like this band. That early stuff, kids can bounce around to it. Um, and I, I like it. The, the, the back half of the album, they bring back this little, like, coda of Everything Counts. You guys caught that when you listened to this, this one? Oh, yeah, that was
2: cool. I, I yeah. love little things like that. They They, yeah. they like to do their little, like secret songs but not like at the end of an album they do that too but also at the end of just like a track.
1: They'll, they'll, they do have secret songs here and there kind of or bits they do have re, re- on some albums reoccurring uh, just like once or twice a uh, reoccurring melody from another track. Cool consistency they do sometimes. Uh, the Landscape is Changing another, another good song about you know with a message uh, a synth effect that they use a lot and Landscape is Changing uses it is it it's a very clearly digitized bell, and I I, I like it whenever a a, a a sampled bell clang happens. Told you so. A good track. It's got some malfunctioning robot stuff going on in it. Uh, it's kind of like an upbeat song, and it's got something that sounds to me like a like a digitized oboe and tuba. It's, uh, it's interesting. And then the closing track, and then I like that one as well. And uh, we haven't talked about it as much yet, but we're going to. Depeche Mode's very, very good at opening tracks. And I think they're also really good at closing tracks. And And Then is a great closing track. It has some uh, plinks and bloops and bleeps and bloops that remind me of uh, Monkey Island, actually. And as we know in this show, whenever something reminds me of Monkey Island, it makes me happy. By the way, this week <laughs> it was announced there's a new Monkey Island game coming out. Looking forward to the new Monkey Island game from the original creator of the first two games. Very neat news. And then great closer. Great. And then there's a, and and then has a cool Martin Gore has these like sad, but hopeful lyrics. And uh, there's a line from this one. That's just uh, put it all down and start again from the top to the bottom. And then that's all I'll have faith or I prefer to think that things couldn't turn out worse. (laughs) And I, I just think about, these last few years, that's how we feel all the time. Like, ah, it can't, you know, the, the, the hopeful way to look at this is like, there's no way it can get worse than what it is now. And, uh, well, here we are. So good album. Martin's
2: Martin's adamant in interviews. Like he's like, our songs are sad, but I, they're never without hope. And that's very important to him as a songwriter that he, he include that kind of, uh, you know, optimism even in the darkest days,
1: I, I, and on most of them, I agree with him. But there are times where I'm like, ah, no, buddy, it's pretty dark, and it's just dark. <laughs> but uh, Eric, like Eric said, it is a two of a piece. I do think construction time again pairs very well with this falling record. Some great reward. What what? Uh, it came out in eighty four, right, Mark? That some is great reward.
0: That is correct, nineteen eighty four. So they're just churning through those yearly uh, reviews, apparently. But it does. I mean, even the font style um, still holds that same sort of uh, cohesion between um, the uh, the font of the record and then just the overall photography of it all. Uh, it has a very, um, it has a lot of uh, great, excuse me, a lot of great singles off here. People are people, which um, there's two different video versions. One's this, uh, much longer version which is i think around six or seven minutes uh with more of that battleship footage that's going on uh it, it they're twisting pipes and twisting dials and it's all in time with the uh the beat uh you just you love to see it um they all look like a bunch of like sailors ready to do battle uh, when the whole song is not about that it's people are people why can't it be uh or how can it be that man hates one another or something like that? But anyways, uh, it's got a great message of why the fuck are we fighting each other? We're just people. Um, somebody which is probably overplayed at every uh, wedding of women of, of a certain age. Uh, I I mean, if you told me, Eric, that this was your slow dance, uh, I would have been like, yeah, that tracks. Um, master and servant uh it's a lot it's a lot in a good way uh I, I i really enjoy that song even though the beginning is bonkers nuts it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot, it's a lot. um like life <laughs> uh, again
1: again martin with the you know not even not not even gonna use metaphors here it's uh <laughs>
0: Call and response. And then Blasphemous Rumors. Uh, that was another one. Uh, so, and Blasphemous Rumors is about attempted suicide and God having a sick sense of humor. Um, I mean, good Lord. It's uh, it's a jaunty little um, song with lyrics that would be perfect if they were in The Crow. Um, it's, uh, it's a good record. I actually think uh, out of the entire phase, this is my my top tier in this phase.
1: Another great album title cover, "Synergy." I love that that photograph of the husband and wife, like in front of like a like an old gray building or something. It's just uh, some great reward. Just, I love the way it just rolls off the tongue and the way it sounds and what it conjures. Uh, yeah, everything you, you brought up. The singles are all good. More message songs. "People Are People." I literally was telling my son today about, "Hey, you know what this song's about?" And he's like, "No, what?" And I was like, you know all the stuff that uh, Martin Luther King talks about. It's just, it, it's, I like being able to have a song. It's that easy to break down to a kid. Um, there, there's another, there's another one where I can't remember which track it was where the lyrics just say like, leave the, you know, leave the planet in a better way than you found it from this era. It's, uh, it's nice to have that kind of message in something that doesn't sound like you had to hear it from, uh, the Newberry, uh, folk festival or whatever, you know, or Cat Stevens, uh, yeah, the songs off this one that really stick out to me something to do that's a good one it's a uh, very sinister and fast moving sounding it's a manic track it's uh, the opening track lie to me is a good one it's got some synthesized pan flute stuff going on master and servant as we discussed uh if you want is a great song if you want sounds more epic than some of the other tracks i think um and I think it, it kind of points in the direction they're going to be a being more cinematic and Dave Gahan also starting to have more of a foreboding approach to singing when he wants to, in addition to being a good pop singer. I think Dave Gahan's voice starts to grow quite a bit on this record. And uh, as you said, Mark "Blasphemous rumors. That's a great one. Good lyrics. Um, I love that chorus. And uh, yeah, this one's uh it's a, it's a pretty good record. It's, of the first four, I this or construction time again, or that they're they're almost tied for me.
0: Eric,
2: yeah, not much to add. I all those songs you guys mentioned are on my list. Um, I think they are fully realizing all the positive traits of the previous albums. Um, all they've got to do is gel it together in some kind of thematic package and let Dave just get out of the box um which they'll do on the next record um it's but yeah i mean it's it's great and the the songs are good um you know still not as consistent as the 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 following trilogy but um but wow it's 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 good
1: but not a lot more to add clearly people are people definitely if i had to pick one song off the album that's probably the one I, I, i really do like that song quite a bit
0: Oh, it's great. I mean, uh, speaking of People Are People, that's the, the single that really propelled them into the stratosphere uh, pretty rapidly. They um, uh, was released as a single, and it was actually used as a theme to West German's TV coverage of the 1984 Olympics. So uh, fans were just turning up in droves at the concerts, and uh, Martin Gore was really just... You know, appalled because uh, people were coming out to see him but they couldn't really sell the records, which is almost the opposite these days. Well, no, it's still the same thing. I think that's exactly well, the, the, the music I, industry now.
1: That's, that is the music and I'll get yeah. to that when we talk about their new albums.
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, not
1: the uh, the late '80s ones. Those ones you know
0: sold. Also- Yeah, but People Are People. That's what really got them over here uh, stateside. They released a compilation um, uh, singles package uh, from these first set of records. And uh, there's a song called Shake the Disease that shows up on that one that's not on any of the records. And also it's called A Heart. But Shake the Disease, that is a really fucking great track. Um, Oh,
1: God, yeah.
0: That's uh, really... Awesome song,
1: yeah. Shake the Disease. I mean, if it was put on the singles, uh, uh, catching up with the Pesh Mode collection, uh, good on them to try to help push that more. But I mean, I would have put it on even maybe the next record to help push the next record. But Black Celebration didn't need any more great songs, so they probably made the right choice. Shake the Disease, though, my god, great album or great song title great song what are you saying about flood eric i was just gonna say that they started working with flood on that
2: track and then that would carry over uh to a few few albums in in their future and just just researching i i looked up i mean obviously i know who flood is from many albums but looking up floods like discography i think maybe more than anybody else i can track my music interests through flood's career in the 80s and 90s it's it's pretty awesome uh, anyways well we
1: got the we got the youtube fan club on our podcast right now with that's right Mark. that's right and you got nine, a big part of why he loves you too i'm sure
2: you got nine inch nails you got ministry mm-hmm. you've got papa Weed itself you've got all yeah all sorts of nitsereb like all sorts of stuff
0: oh yeah i mean even our um sourpuss Brian Eno as well you can throw him to that youtube mix as um, but David Lan- uh, David Lenoir is really one of the he was the producer of the Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum um, but then Flood did uh, Octune Baby I believe
1: I guarantee you that if you are a music fan of a certain age of a certain type in the late 80s early 90s that you if you're a U2 fan you're also a Depeche Mode fan and vice versa the, it's hard late- not to Yeah, the late 80s, early 90s output of both bands, uh, a lot of crossover there.
3: (laughs)
0: Okay, this has been part one of our Depeche Mode discography discussion. Join us next time when we go through the rest of their career and where we really see the peak of Depeche Mode at the height of their powers. So this has been Mark and Steve and Eric are somewhere in the void, but they also want to tell you, we hope that we brought you closer to mode.